Well, good morning again. This morning, we're going to begin over the next few weeks looking at a series of sermons that deal with the now what? Following Timothy, getting the church kind of pointed in the right direction, Paul will prioritize worship within the church. So this morning, we're going to look at prayer, and we're also going to look at how Christ is our mediator. Next week, we're going to look at at women in the church, and then the next couple weeks following that, we're going to look at qualifications for both a deacon and elders. And so I'm looking forward to the next several weeks as we kind of dive into um, this great book together. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, Paul spoke these words or wrote these words to Timothy, kind of summing up what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a butteress of the truth. Now, for this morning, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to begin looking at verse 1, and we'll go through verse 7 together. Chapter chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. These are the words that we read. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it pleases, it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am, not, I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul packs a lot into these seven verses, doesn't he? And this morning we're going to unpack these verses together. But before we do, let's pray together. Father, as I come before you this morning, Lord, as we come before you, with our Bibles open. May our hearts be open as well. May our minds be open. May our ears be open to receive what it is that you would have us to receive today. Father, you have set every single one of us apart in this room who are believers, who have entered into a personal relationship with you. And Father, knowing this, Lord, I pray that you will just continue to reveal to us how we as a church are to operate, how we are as individuals are to, to function within the church as well as outside the church. Just be with us now. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our message point this morning is this, calling all prayer warriors. Calling all prayer warriors. The very first words that we read in verse 1 of chapter 2 are these. First of all. What does that tell us right there? That tells us that what I'm about to say is of the utmost importance. 
And that's exactly what Paul is communicating to Timothy here. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is of the utmost importance. And I think we would all agree, after just the past few weeks of study through 1 Timothy, that, that, that this church was a church that probably had lost its mission, right? They had lost what they were created and set apart to do and be as a church. They probably became so internally Focus that they lost sight of the Great Commission. They lost sight of the fact that God had called them at the moment of their salvation and appointed them at that moment to know Him and then also to make Him known. According to Jesus in Matthew 28, one of the very last words that He left His disciples with are these words found in Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus commanding us to do right there? He's calling us to preach the word, isn't he? He's calling us to go and to take those men and women and students and children that have been converted, that have entered into a relationship with him. He's instructing them to baptize them. And those that they have baptized, these new believers, he's instructing them to make disciples to disciple them. Why? So that they too could go out and make disciples as they go out into this world. Following Paul telling Timothy to correct the wrong teaching in the church, he instructs Timothy to pray. Doesn't that make perfect sense? Following discipline, following correction, Following difficult, tough times, shouldn't that lead us to pray? Shouldn't that draw us to our knees to pray passionately and earnestly for whatever the situation might be? Prayer draws us closer to Jesus, and prayer draws us closer to one another. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples and to us. This was um, words that he spoken, spoke as the church to help them and instruct them as they deal with church discipline. But in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, we read these words. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now think about what Timothy has had to deal with over the past, um, you know, how many ever weeks or months it took him to get to the point where he's able to transition from verse one to verse two, dealing with church discipline, dealing with the 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 wrong doctrines that were present within the church and correcting them and to correct them to teach the truth as opposed to a lie. And, and all of this is going on. And then we read in verse 19, um, Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am 
among them. Jesus is saying that if you seek unity in the church, then I am going to be right there with you. When you seek to get things right amongst yourselves, I'm going to be right there in your midst. When we come together as a church and we come together in agreement with one another, guess what? Jesus is right here in our midst. When we have prayer groups outside of the doors of this church and we call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus is right there with us. Timothy has sought unity and now Paul is instructing him to pray. So notice our first point this morning. It is the priority of prayer. Paul instructs Timothy to pray, and not just any kind of prayer, but he is specifically calling upon him to pray for the unsaved. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you know someone that is unsaved this morning? Someone that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think all of us in this room fall into that category, right? If you don't know somebody that is unsaved, what does that tell you? Get outside of your circle, right? Get outside of your immediate circle because if you do that, guess what? You're going to begin to encounter some unsaved people, right? You're going, to be encou- you're going to begin to encounter some people that are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. How many of you are satisfied knowing that there are people in your life that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't think any of us are satisfied with that, are we? If anything, as we think about those that we do life with, whether that's in our own home, whether that's within the doors of this church, whether that's at our place of employment, whether that's a neighbor or someone that we just pass by as we're at the grocery store or whatever, thinking that they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that should break our hearts, right? Because why? It broke Jesus' heart to know. You know, when Jesus entered the, um, about to go into the city of Jerusalem, what did Jesus do? He wept over the city. Why? Because he was broken over their lostness. We should get to the point, I need to get to this point more and more, where I'm broken for the lost people that I do life with, those that are around me. This morning, At the conclusion of our service, we're going to, during our time of invitation, um, we're going to do things a little bit different. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. And across this altar, there are um, pins, and then there are also some some business cards. On one side of this card, um, it's the passage that we just read, or at least verses 1 through 4. And then on the back side of this card, it just simply says, I am praying for blank salvation, okay? I've already placed the name of a gentleman by the name of Christopher, um, who, who is a gentleman that lives in our neighborhood that I have invited multiple times to church. Um, and if I had to guess, I would say that he probably is not a believer. And so he is going to be one of the people that I pray for. And so I'm going to put this card in a prominent spot, and I am going to begin praying for him like I've never prayed for him before. And I want to invite you to do the same thing. Now, you may think, well, I've got 35 people that I know that, I, that, that need Jesus. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Start small, okay? Don't just grab a stack of cards and begin writing people's names on them. You can, you can certainly grab more than one, but but. Keep your prayer strategic and focused and laser sharp as you begin to pray for whoever the Lord 
has placed on your heart. So as we walk through this sermon together this morning, begin even now asking the Lord to reveal to you who it is that you need to pray for. Charles Spurgeon shared these words once. He said, one thing more, the soul winner must be a master of the art of prayer. You cannot bring souls to God if you go not to God yourself. You must get your battle axe and your weapons of war from the armory of sacred communication with Christ. If you are much alone with Jesus, you will catch his spirit and you will be fired with the flame that burned in his breast and consumed his life. You will weep with the tears that fell upon Jerusalem when he saw it perishing. May you and I learn to pray with even a fraction of the intensity that Jesus had as he prayed for lost people. If we could do that, there is no telling what Jesus would unleash through us. Jesus, our Paul instructed Timothy, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Paul is instructing us to pray for others right here. Paul used four different words in verse 1, each describing how to pray for others. He said that we are to make supplication for others. We are to pray for others. We are to intercede on others' behalf. And then we are to pray prayers of thanksgiving on behalf of others. He is not just calling us to offer up a breath prayer on behalf of those that we do life with. He is calling us to pray specifically in particular ways for those in the church and outside of the church without a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are to pray for others, but notice here, we are to pray for all people. We are not to pray, we are not only to pray for all people, but notice who we are to pray for. In verse 2, We are to pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Praying for those in positions of authority is not always easy, is it? Think about that. You know, I will assure you there have been times in my life where I have flat out not wanted to pray for people in leadership. I haven't wanted to pray for them because fundamentally we, we believe differently. Morally we believe differently. Biblically we believe differently. So why in the world would I want to pray for someone that is against everything that I am for? Why? Isn't that why we pray for people? Isn't that why we would pray for our enemies is because we are so far apart on the spectrum that we want to be drawn closer together? We want to pray for those that believe differently than us so that they can believe as God's Word instructs them to believe. We should pray for those that are against us and against the mission we have been set apart by God to be on because we are praying that they will be changed at their very core. We are instructed to pray for kings and leaders. What does that mean? That means that we are to pray for the president of the United States. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's um, Donald Trump or Barack Obama. We are to pray for our president. 
It does not matter who the future president is going to be. We are to pray for them. We are to pray for our vice president, for the Speaker of the House, for the Senate Majority Leader. We are to pray for Congress. These men and women are making decisions on our behalf. So we should pray for them to make godly decisions. We should pray for them instead of complaining about them. We should pray for our national leaders, our state leaders, our local leaders. We should pray for leaders across this globe, both for leaders and for dictators. We need to pray for their salvation. We need to pray that they will lead well and govern well. We need to pray that they will respond to the Lord and govern as the Lord leads them to govern. Then we need to pray for them to lead without oppressing their people or persecuting their people. Why do we pray this way? Notice point number two, the reason we pray. When, why do we pray for all people? Why do we pray for our leaders and world governments? Verse three tells us, because this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Prayer is good. Paul wrote, this is good. Take note is what he's telling Timothy here. Take note, when you pray, this is a good thing. You and I, and I'm the first one to admit this, I do not pray enough. I must pray more. Not only on behalf of the the lost people in my world, but I need to pray for you more. I need to pray for our church more. I need to pray for my family more. I need to pray for my community more. Why? Because God tells me right here, this is good. Dwight L. Moody said, Those who have left the deepest impression on this sin-cursed earth have been men and women of prayer. You will find that prayer has been the mighty power that has moved not only God, but also man. Prayer is good. Prayer is also pleasing. We are told in verse 3 also, it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Do you believe that, cha- God, that prayer changes people? Do you believe that? Do you believe that prayer changes churches? Do you believe that prayer changes communities? I want to share um, an illustration with you that I came across. Um, This is a a story that happened in 1857. There was a 46-year-old man named Jeremiah Lamprey who lived in New York City. And as I kind of read this, it kind of, of, man, motivated me because I'm 46 years old. Okay, or young, however you look at that. But as I read through this, man, I realized that it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, God can still use you to change this world. Jeremiah loved the Lord tremendously, but he didn't feel that he could do much for the Lord. That was until he began to feel a burden for those within the city of New York. He began trying to reach those within his city. And 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 he felt such a burden for them that he would invite them on a regular basis to join him at church. In July of 1857, he started walking up and down the streets of New York, passing out tracts and talking to people about Jesus. But he wasn't having much success. Then God put on his heart that he needed to begin to pray for his city. So he printed up a bunch of tracts and he passed them out to anyone and everyone that he came across. And he was inviting them to join him on the third floor of the old North Dutch Reformed Church on Fulton Street in New York City 
from 12 to 1 on Wednesday afternoons to begin praying. He passed out hundreds upon hundreds of tracts is what this illustration indicates. He put up posters all over the city. Wednesday came and noontime had finally arrived. Nobody showed up. So what did this man do? Jeremiah got down on his knees and he started praying. About 30 minutes into his prayer time, four or five men came in and joined him in prayer. The next week, 20 people came. The next week, 30 and 40 people came. Then they decided to meet every day from 12 to 1 to pray for the city. And before long, a few ministers came, and they caught vision of what the Lord was doing. And they took these prayer services back to their own churches and began to invite people to come together to pray. And within six months, there were over 5,000 prayer groups meeting every day in New York. Soon the word spread all over the country. Prayer meetings were started in Philadelphia, Detroit, and Washington, D.C. In fact, President Franklin Pierce started going almost every day to a noonday prayer meeting. By 1859, some 15,000 cities in America were having downtown prayer meetings every day at noon, and thousands upon thousands were brought to Christ. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes others. And you know what? God blesses people that pray. Individuals' lives get changed and the lost get saved. Let us pray for God to unleash his power through each and every one of us. Notice also that prayer is assuring. In verse 4 we read, Who desires all people, speaking of God the Father here, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? What does this verse tell us not? It says that God doesn't desire most people to be saved. It doesn't say that God desires the majority of the people to be saved. But what does it say? It says that God desires all people to be saved. Some people like to argue that God did not die for all people. He just died for the elect or for those preordained to be saved. I choose to believe that the Lord said what he meant and meant what he said when it comes to salvation. His desire is for every individual that he has given the breath of life to to enter into a personal relationship with him. 2 Peter 3, 9, we read these words, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What is God's desire? That all people should be saved. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God desires all people to be saved. But here is the reality. Not all people are going to be saved, are they? Not all people are going to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. One day, those that choose not to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and they will have to give an account for every sin that they have ever committed. God, have pity on them on that day. God, help them. And may you and I help them on this side of eternity by going to them and sharing the good news of salvation with them and praying for them and praying for their salvation. Notice our third point this morning. It is this. 
Notice the aim of prayer. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. As we pray for the lost, you know what we are doing? We are pointing them to Christ, who is our mediator. You know what a mediator is? A mediator is a go-between. Jesus Christ is our go-between. He is our go-between between God the Father and us. Jesus is that bridge that, that, that separates us from a holy God. And when we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus laid down his life for us. And literally, I mean, you can kind of envision it like this, that a bridge was created and enabling us from, to go from this side of this great chasm to the other side, which is heaven, which is where God the Father is. Christ is our mediator. Here's a picture of this. Imagine a courtroom. On the bench sits a sovereign judge. The evidence has been presented before the judge, and there was absolutely no doubt that the defendant was guilty. Crimes had been committed, and judgment was about to be handed down. Just prior to judgment, one approached the bench, and it was the son of the judge. He pleaded the case of the defendant and even offered to endure the punishment that was about to be passed down upon that defendant. Strangely, the judge agreed and passed judgment on his son rather than the guilty defendant. That is exactly what Christ has done for us. He stood in our place, interceding on our behalf. He bore our sin and suffered the righteous judgment we should have endured. And now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us. He is pleading our case before the Father. In the Old Testament, prior to the suffering on the cross, the people looked to a priest as a representative before God, right? There are still some religions that still look to a priest to be their representative. However, those who are born again in Christ no longer need to look to a priest, right? We don't have to look to a man to stand on our behalf as a go-between for us because Jesus became our mediator. He stands in between us and God the Father, making intercession on our behalf. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through God the Son, through Jesus Christ. The world likes to tell us that there's many, many ways. The world likes to tell us that you, you, all paths will ultimately lead to God or to a God is what they tell us. But Jesus makes it abundantly clear right here that he is the only way. 
There are no other ways, my friends. It's only through Jesus. He is our mediator, and he is our deliverer. In verse 6, we read, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. A ransom is what is given in exchange for the release of someone that is held captive. Sin, at one time, held us captive, didn't it? Romans 6.23, the very first part of that verse says that the wages of sin is death. What you and I deserved was death. Why? Because sin held us captive. Sin separated us from God. What we deserved was death. However, Jesus paid the ransom for us. He went to the cross and he died on that cross for our sins. And we're told in the second part of Romans 6.23 that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's good news this morning, isn't it? Yes, our sin did separate us. Because of the, but because of the work of Christ on the cross, because he, he, he took the place of us and paid our debt, paid our ransom, You and I in this room this morning have the opportunity to enter a relationship with him and be forgiven of our sin. Christ paid the price for our sin. He offered up his absolute righteousness for our sin. And he he became for us a sin sacrifice so that we could be pardoned of our sins and so that we could be set free and empowered to go. As well. Notice our final point this morning. In conclusion, notice what happens to a life that has been ransomed by Christ. It has been given a purpose and a mission. Notice Paul's motivation. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And he says, I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. You can just sense the passion that he has for the words that he's written. And he says, I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Just as Paul was appointed by God, so have all of us in this room. At the moment of our salvation, we were given a mission and we were given a ministry so that we could make much of Christ to other people. We were given a mission by God. We were appointed by God, and we were appointed to go. Paul's mission was to the Gentiles, okay? Paul's mission and mission field was all around Asia. Your and my mission field looks much different than Paul's, right? But we still have been given a mission field. For some of us in this room, our mission field is Collin County. It's, it's the city that we live in. It's our place of work. It's the county. Why is this the extent of our mission? Because for some reason you may be unable to go beyond this county or Metro Dallas because of health or because of age or something like that. For others in this room, your mission may be a little bit further than that. Your mission may sweep throughout Texas 
It may go nationally. You may even be called to go internationally for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that is the mission that God has given you, and that is the field that he has set before you, and he has called you to go and to preach the good news of salvation. We've been called to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, all of us. The ends of the earth may look different for all of us. Samaria may look different for all of us, and Jerusalem and Judea may also, but regardless, we have still been called to go and to make much of the name of Jesus Christ. You and I need to pray passionately for other people. We need to pray passionately for the salvation of other people. We need to pray that the Lord Jesus Christ will draw them unto himself. Okay, But know this, not only we need to pray passionately for them, but we also must pray for God to give us opportunities to share with them as well. So my prayer for you this morning in just a few minutes is I want to invite all of us to come to this altar and to grab one of these cards and to write the name of somebody that we are praying for. And I don't want you to just write a name down and, 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 and we want to commit to pray for them absolutely. Okay? But we also want to pray that the Lord will give us opportunities to share with them as well. Part of, of the salvation, uh, a person's salvation story is that, that somebody shared with them. I mean, think about your own story. Probably 99% of us in this room became a Christ follower because someone shared the plan of salvation with us. It may have been in a setting like this at a church service or a revival service. It may have been, um, or it may have been that a friend sat across the table from you one day and they shared with you the plan of salvation. Probably before that friend shared with you or that preacher preached to you, they probably prayed for you. So let's not just pray for people, okay? But let's make sure that as we're going through this process, we take that next step as well, where we pray for opportunities to share with the individual that we place on this card as well. I make that commitment to you that I am going to do that, and I pray that you will as well. Can you imagine what would happen if out of this room, you know, all hundred and something of us wrote down a person's name, and we began to pray for that person. And not knowing that not all are going to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but imagine what would happen if just 25% of them gave their life over to Jesus Christ. And that's victory, isn't it? If one person gives their, name, their life over to Jesus Christ, that's victory. But imagine what would happen if God gave you the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ. Folks, there is nothing more rewarding than leading another person to Jesus. You know, Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Why? So that you may have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. You see what happens when we share our faith? As we share our faith with another person, we gain understanding. We get to know our Lord and Savior in ways that we've never known Him before. I remember some of the times that I've shared the plan of salvation with, with people. The Lord has given me words that I've never used before in a sentence. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inter, inter, intercedes on our behalf and speaks on our behalf and gives us the words 
Right? There's power when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and through us, isn't there? Let's pray for that. Let's pray for these individuals that the Lord will give us an opportunity to share with them. Okay? And let me also encourage you. Okay? You may be in this room and you may be like, man, I don't know how to share the plan of salvation with somebody. Here's what I, I, I make this commitment with you. Over the next few weeks, I don't know exactly when yet, following a Sunday morning, we're going to get together for about 30 minutes and we will do a, a, a gospel um, training session, an evangelism training session. We'll walk through the Roman road and, and learn some different ways that we can share the gospel with somebody so that when we do get that opportunity, man, we're not just shaking in our boots. Because I've been there too. Probably one of the first times I ever shared with somebody, man, I was shaking in my boots because I really didn't know what I was doing because I'd never done it before. So I make that commitment to you that we'll go through a training to make this um, the most rewarding time it can be for you. Here's what I want to invite you to do now. I'm going to just invite all of us in this room right now just to bow our head, okay? And I want to invite you to pray for just a, a, a moment or two. I want to invite you to pray for that person or persons that the Lord has placed upon your heart that are in need of Jesus Right now, just pray the, for the Lord to reveal to you who they are. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and grab one of these cars and write the name of that individual on it. This is for you, okay? You're not going to share this with me. You're not going to share this. You can share it with me. You can share it with other people so that we can pray with you for that person's salvation. But this is something for you. It's not something that we're going to put on display around this church. Just pray, who is that person? Who is the Lord revealed to you? Hopefully all of us have lost, no lost people. Hopefully all of us know people that need Jesus. Hopefully all of us realize that we are the ones that Jesus has left behind to share with other people the good news of salvation. We are the ones that he has empowered and commissioned to do this. Believers sharing with believers. Who has the Lord laid upon your heart? I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then I'm going to invite us to stand. And then I pray that you will come and, and grab one of these cards, pray over that card, and write the name of that person that the Lord has placed on your heart. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity just to be here, Lord. I thank you for the promise of your word, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you have given us the opportunity, Lord Jesus, to be a part of, of another person's eternal story. 
Father, it's just so incredibly rewarding knowing that you have chosen us and that you have appointed us. But it's also, Father, quite humbling as well. Father, I know for me there have been countless numbers of people that you have said, share the gospel with that person, and I said no. Oh, Father, whoever's name that we put down on this card, whoever you placed on our heart and have already etched their name across our heart, Lord, may we be obedient to you. And not only pray for them, not only pray for their salvation, to pray for their softening of their heart, to pray for them to be drawn to you. And then, Lord Jesus, may we share with them the greatest story ever known to man. And that is a story about you and about how you became our mediator, how you took the place of us and died for us so that we could enter into a relationship with you. Father, be with us now during this time of invitation. Father, may all of us come and write down the name of somebody that needs Jesus. There may be some here this morning that they don't know you. And Father, I pray that they'll come to know you this morning. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.